0: Today I'm going to be talking about resource management, what to do when the party goes off the tracks, and my thoughts on homebrew. This is Dungeon Man, Dragon Master. It's the Dragon Master, you're on. Now when I say resource management, I'm not talking about like gold and like potions and stuff. That you kind of have to do on your own. Is it time to use it? Is, you know, are you going to buy something here? that That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about the part of D&D that gets really complicated. I'm talking about making sure that the things you do, you have the ability to do, are used when you want to use them and you don't waste them and realize, oh, dang, I should have waited and used it here. So let's just talk about the basic one that everyone has to worry about, which is action economy. When you hear veteran D&D players talking about action economy, basically what they mean is making sure that you're taking advantage of everything that you can do while you're in combat. And yes, most of this is combat focused. In combat, you have an action, a bonus action, your movement, and a reaction. And all of that resets at the top of your turn. The goal, of course, is to make sure that every turn you use your action, you use your bonus action, and you either have the ability to use a reaction or you do use it because it's the right thing to do at that time. Sometimes reactions are more, well, just that, reactive, in that they can't really be planned for, mainly uh, opportunity attacks and things like that. But there are some other things where you can use your reaction for a specific thing, such as taking the ready action and using your reaction to make an attack if you can't do it then. That's a really good way to use your resources properly. If you can't use your action to do a really good thing now, taking the ready action to do it as a reaction, beautiful. One of the things that I see a lot is people not really planning for bonus actions. A lot of the games that I've been a part of, there have been people who do their action, and then they're done. Usually casters. Action, done. Action, done. Action, done. And if they're ranged casters, then sometimes they don't even move. But I'm going to encourage you, find something more to do than just an action. Find a bonus action to do, whatever it is. If it's an extra D4 of damage because you swipe with a dagger using two-handed fighting, like, that's fine use your movement find a way to back up further or get into a more advantageous position uh maybe find some cover there's a lot you can do with all that stuff and if you just leave it there it's things you could have used later if you get to a certain point in combat that you get surrounded by enemies and then you look back through the rest of your turns and you realize well i haven't moved in like six turns i bet if you had moved you might not have gotten surrounded by those enemies that's all i'm saying every turn you have all four of those things to deal with May as well use them. That's just the regular everyday thing. Let's talk about the actual features and the actual resources you have access to. Reset per day features. So when I talk about this, I mean, like, if you look at your character sheet, you can do this X number of times per day. And generally, the logic I go through with reset per day features is if I don't have access to it later, could somebody or all of us die? If it's something that yeah, this could save us if we're about to die, like a uh, a mass heal or a mass teleport, right? Something like that. If I have access to it, then if we get into a pinch, click, click a button, gone, done, out of there, we're all safe. If you don't have access to that, could you die? Well, you might want to think about saving it until you really need it. The other one is, if you don't use it, will somebody die? I mean, it's that exact example. If you're on death's doorstep and you can get everybody out of there or else somebody has the potential to die right now, probably is a good time to use it. Reset per day features are supposed to be so that you have to really plan out your day and make sure that you're not just throwing your strongest thing out there. you got to take note of those strongest things and use them where they're supposed to be. Some of the reset per day things could honestly be spells. If you only get them... Uh, once a day if your spell slots reset once a day you got to make sure you keep track of that but we'll talk about spell slots later the other one is reset per rest features now this one's different this reset on a long rest or on a short rest and remembering a short rest is just like an hour of not doing anything what do you do about those well the thing that makes these easier is that once combat is over you can take a short rest and you'll be fine but That does cause some issues if you are, for example, in a dungeon where you don't know what's going to happen. Or if you're in the wilderness where any baddie things could be around. Or if you're running from something and you don't have time to stop, right? Those are things to keep track of. So the first thing to think of when using a reset per rest feature is, do I have the time to get this back? Uh, Let's say you can do something three times per rest. OK, you've used it twice. Now you've got one left. Do you have time after using this before you're going to need it again to take that short rest? If you don't, maybe save it. If you do, OK, go for it. Maybe you can get some extra damage out or something like that. And of course, the other one, it's the a little bit the same as before. If you don't have it later, will somebody die because of it? Um, Mostly you have to worry about if you have the chance to get it back before that situation, but if you don't have access to it, is that going to harm something? So those are the basics and those are kind of the easy ones. Now I want to get into the most complicated thing about D&D, and maybe just give you that little bit more courage to give it a shot. Usually I discourage spellcasting early on just because of how complicated it is, but there's nothing saying you can't do it, it's just knowing how to. So let's chat about spell slots. Spell slots are just complicated in that you have so many options and you never know when is the right time to do it and when is not. Remembering that you have cantrips to solve most things... It's generally just knowing the spells you have and if it's worth it to spend those spell slots. First of all, you should look at how your spell list is built. Is it a combat spell list or is it an out-of-combat spell list? If it's an out-of-combat one, it's a little more lenient. Uh, When you're in combat, hopefully you've got cantrips that'll help you out, and you probably shouldn't waste too many spell slots in combat because you're saving them for out-of-combat things, such as charm person or scrying things like that if it's a combat spell list well you have a little more to think about Um, mainly how urgent is it that you cast this spell at this level that you use this spell slot if you really need to go for it it's the same rules as the per day and per rest features you just have to know how important it is to use it then the other thing to think about is are there a number of spell slots that you need to save just in case Did you guys make a plan to infiltrate this castle or this fortress or cave or whatever, and you need your teleport spell to get out? Well, if you do, you really shouldn't be using uh, the last spell slot of that because you're going to need it for later, right? The last one is, is it really going to help or is it going to be overkill? If you have one goblin in front of you at the end of the fight... Do you really need to chuck a fireball at it, or could you just do firebolt as a cantrip and move on? The main thing is just managing what you have and making sure that the rest of the time that you have in a day or in a rest or however long your resources refresh – As long as you have what you need, you're fine. It's just having that forethought. And honestly, it's not that scary. Just give it a shot sometime. The next thing I want to talk to you about is what to do when the party goes off the tracks, or what I like to call DM-prov. Yes, I think I'm funny. So the deal is, we all know that parties do weird things. Players do weird stuff, because they get a wild hair and they go, Wait, but I want that. Or they think their character's supposed to, and so they do. To be honest with you, that's where the best stories come from. Sometimes as a DM, we like to get really focused on the story we want to tell, but it's not really our story. We're more building a world for the players to make a story. We just give them plot hooks to get started. And I think this skill, this DM improv that I'm calling it, is a really good skill to have. It, it stops the railroading that can come from too much planning. You know, nobody likes it when you put a lot of work in and something doesn't happen you know oh i planned this big fight and oh they just walked around they didn't go do it you know i worked really hard on this encounter and well they just didn't do it right It, it feels bad when that happens so there's not too much of a reason i think to put that much work into it plus you can't script a dialogue when most of the cast doesn't have a script if you have this big conversation you plan to have between the big bad and the players well what happens if they just attack him You can't just say, wait, don't do that. Let's talk about it first because that might not be what they want to do. You know, you got to just have the world ready and let them build the story. So let's talk about the left brain of it. The main thing that I like to control as a DM is the physics of the world. I know the basics of the game and of the world that I'm building and maybe like the height of the walls in the area. And that's about it. Once you've got all that stuff, then the players can do what they want. You describe the scene, and that allows them to go and do their thing, which is nice. The other one to keep track of is your your DM basics, if a structure has HP and AC, just in case someone wants to break it down or something. Maybe the jump mechanics. That's one that I've had to look up a few times. Thanks, guys. Just to make sure if they want to jump over something, you know how to handle it, right? Those basic kind of things. There's other rules like that. You can go find them. As long as you have a concept of the way the game works and the way the world works, you don't really have to worry about planning specific things. Your players will do that. That being said, there is some mild planning that can be done. Um, I like to do random charts. Uh, like random encounters and things like that. If you build a random encounter chart and they go somewhere and you need to maybe buy yourself some time, uh, you can roll on this chart and say, oh, and roll, roll, roll. Oh, and oh my God, this basilisk just came out of nowhere. Roll initiative. That's going to buy you some time. If you don't have anything ready for whatever they're trying to do next you can go do that uh let's say they decide they do want to storm this castle well you don't have the castle built you don't know who's in there you don't have the layout of it you need at least until the next session to get that planned okay roll an encounter oh on your way you get attacked by oh three assassin vines oh no what are we gonna do right that's a good one another chart that i like to do another thing for like mild planning is like an NPC knowledge bank. If you have like a set of legitimate NPCs, uh, it's nice to have a chart that says, okay, here's what they do know, and here's what they don't know, right? They do know the bad guy and what he's up to, uh, but they don't know the king. Oh, darn. Or this guy uh, knows what the bad guy's up to, has never met him before, uh, but he does know that there's this magical sword in a cave tomb that's like 10 miles to the north right like there's a lot of things like that. you can plan your NPC's knowledge without having to plan their lines. comes with some improv skills. that's why I call it d improv. But that should help you a little bit if if they want to have a big long conversation. plus big long conversations really good way to buy yourself time <laughs> just in case. Another fun one that I like to do is to know your party. This isn't really much planning, but if you know your party, you can kind of plan around it a little bit. For example, if you know that you have a rogue who likes to steal stuff, well, get ready to know what sort of trinkets everybody has or have a random chart of trinkets. And then when they say, hey, I'm gonna steal from this person. I rolled a 27 on my sleight of hand. What do I find? roll the chart. Oh, you found a small doll, right? Like that kind of thing. We've talked about the DMs and the players being friends a lot, but because you are friends and in the spirit of knowing your party, you can just ask them their plan. I did that a lot. At the end of a session, if I didn't have a module at the end of their session, I would say, Hey, what are you guys thinking about doing? Like what, what, what's your plan here? And then they talk for a second and they go, yeah, well, I guess we'll probably want to, you know, go, go find that dungeon. Um, and maybe, you know, when we get there, we might want to build a base out of it right now. You can plan those things. Okay. They're going to go find this dungeon. Let's figure out what it takes to get there. That's quick. Let's build a dungeon. That's a little more intensive. And if they just plan on storming it again, if you know your party, you can try to predict, Okay, I know them. They're going to just fight everything. Let's have a decent little thing in here. Maybe I want them to think a little differently. I'll throw some traps in there. I'll put a puzzle in there. Now they have to do more. They can't, you know, that kind of thing. Just knowing who is playing your game allows you to plan for it better or at least predict it a little bit so that your D improv, God, I love that word, is a little less necessary and a little more flair. Game designers do this all the time. They, when you make a sequel to a game or if you've been around for a while and you know who's playing your games, they take those statistics. They, they poll the people who buy their games. They look at the age and the race and the sex and the marital status and the number of kids. Like they look at all those statistics to say, okay, the people buying our games like this – Let's do more of that. This is something you can do with your D&D games. It's really easy because they're all your friends. And the final tip for DM improv just in case the party gets off the tracks, breathe. Everything is fine. Everything's going to be okay, especially if you just laugh about it. You say, and this giant dragon comes up and he says... I will eat you all if you do not bring to me all the gold within the kingdom. And the bard goes, you know what, dragon? We'll do that. We'll be back in 24 hours. And then they walk away. And as soon as they get around the thing, the bard goes, all right, I'm going to the nearest brothel. Uh, set something up, DM. Well, now you have to plan a brothel. <laughs> have fun with that. You laugh about it. It's funny. like, okay, <laughs> all right. So I guess we're gonna find a brothel now. Whatever, we'll figure it out. It's really easy because they don't they know you didn't plan for that. They're well aware that you didn't plan the inside of a brothel and the inside of the outhouse and the inside of every shop, even though there's only one that they care to go to, and the inside of the blacksmith and the inside of the tavern and every room in the inn. They know you didn't do that. So laugh it off for a second and move on. The other one that I like is when they do something that messes up whatever I had planned, I take a second to rant about it. Now hear me out. I love it when the party goes off track it's great and i love it when i plan something and my party goes i'm gonna do this one thing and all of a sudden the entire encounter is ruined i love that because it just proves that they're really thinking about the game and i want them to succeed i don't want to make it easy but i want them to succeed so i like to give them that little bit of oh my god i can't believe you guys are you kidding me are you kidding me right now you suck dude because they laugh. They think it's funny that they beat the DM for a second. And I know that's not the the mindset you want to portray all the time. But it's still kind of fun. Just work on... Allowing yourself to build the world and let the players build the story. And this DM-prov, maybe that'll help you out. (inaudible) This next segment uh, is the one that I've done the most research on through the entirety of this podcast. I feel like I might hurt some feelings here, so I'm going to have to do a couple prefaces before we really start. But I'm going to go ahead and give you my thoughts on homebrew. And I'll give you the uh, precursor to it. Some of them are awesome, and some of them are just plain dumb. <laughs> but let's 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 define a little bit. I'm not talking about house rules or bans. First of all, we talked about bans. I think it's pointless, um, and I'm not talking about house rules um, because I'm a little bit mostly against house rules. Also, uh, generally speaking, a house rule, not just in DM but in most things, doesn't really fit the definition of a rule. A rule is a restriction. A rule is that you have to do this before you can this. You have to do this. This is a thing that you have to do. And most house rules are more like house leniencies. Um, and I'll give you some D- D&D examples, uh, like the free action. Oh, well, that's a thing you can do as a free action. Free actions don't exist in game. There are things that we accept don't take an action to do or things that can be put into other actions or done along with your movement, but it's still not a free action. Uh, lenient bonus actions, for example, letting somebody do something as a bonus action that isn't usually a bonus action because well, it's not going to break that much. It's not a house rule; it's a house leniency. Extra ways to get advantage. I know in the DMG they talk about flanking, and it's a legitimate thing. But just some of that stuff is like, all right, well, you're just making it easier. It's not a house rule; it's just an added thing that you put in there. It's fine. I'm just not usually down for house rules. House Rules are what ruin Monopoly, right? Like, like that's just the deal. So the concept of homebrew is pretty simple. Wizards has created a system that allows you to make your own game. And I will say this up front, any and all homebrews are valid as long as the table is having fun. Wizards, at the end of the DMG, has a spot where it teaches you how to build all of the stuff homebrew. Subclasses, magic items, NPCs, all that stuff. They teach you how to do it. So clearly, it's okay. It's in the official stuff. But why do I have a problem with it? Well, generally, my irritation comes from the why was the homebrew made? Now, if you have a fun idea and you want to experiment with it and you want to see if you can't create a new system or, or uh, change the game just a little bit, that's awesome. That's fantastic. That's the kind of homebrew that I think is perfect and makes your game better. But if your homebrew is the, well, I want to do this, but with the stuff that's written, it's just not strong enough. So I'm going to build it so I can be stronger. That's lame. I hate that. I super hate that. And we'll we'll get into it more specifically. So first of all, I'm not going to include uh, homebrewed spells because... I just don't see it as much. People don't really talk about homebrewed spells as much. If you're homebrewing a spell, it's because your wizard or your spellcaster whatever decided they wanted to do a specific thing. And you're like, well, there isn't a thing for that specific thing. So I'll, okay, this spell is a ritual that traps this specific demon for 20 seconds, right? Like that kind of thing. Uh, I'm also not going to include backgrounds because in one of the source books, they have a thing that allows you to make a custom background. You don't even need to homebrew it. So not really worried about that. That's a, that's a fine. But we're going to do this in order of least cool to most cool. Good Lord. I I, I have to rant about this for a second. The, the lowest one on the list, subclasses. It's got the highest but I want it, potential. And it, it it just, it frustrates me so much. Doing research for this segment, I spent an hour looking at homebrew subclasses. I died a little bit. It it, it, it Every single one of them made me want to rip my hair out. I couldn't stand it. And here's why. Let me tell you why. Because none of them were really original and none of them were really balanced, either too much or not enough. Some of them were just multi classes. So somebody made a thing that was two classes put together because they didn't want to work on figuring out how to multi class it properly. Uh, one of them was, I think like a, a fighter sorcerer. So it's similar to the Eldritch Knight, but they use sorcerer rules and get meta magic instead of using wizard rules like the Eldritch Knight does. Wow, dude, just multi-class. I don't know. I just, it just really frustrated me. Um, the other one that I like is when they use like a fake sacrifice quote unquote, so that it's like, oh, but I'm sacrificing this. I don't get to do that. But that means this gets to be really strong. I think one of them was like a pyromancer, and it was like, oh, well, the only benefits you get are from uh, spells that deal fire damage. So, uh, shucks, I can't use any of the other ones more effectively. Okay, not much of a sacrifice. What do you get from it? Oh, you get to cast damaging spells that use fire damage with a spell slot of one lower. Broken. Stupid. I I mean, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get past it. It's, It's so so broken and the other one that i like there was one that was so close to being really original and really cool and then when you do the math it's just making it worse and i'll tell you about it i liked it it was a monk subclass where you had fewer key points but you got key points you refilled them by somebody failing a con save when you hit them with an unarmed attack that's super cool i liked that a lot i was like okay cool this is great so you have to be continuously in combat if you want to get it back boom 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 you can get it smaller pool so you can't do everything all at once it's very balanced it's very flat i love that and then i looked at the ability that said how you get the key points back and you can only do it like three times a day so essentially you get the same amount of key points just not all at once Ah uh, it it made me really sad. And sometimes the the subclasses are poorly written. You might got to remember, Wizards works hard on their wording. And so sometimes the way that something is worded, you're leaving things out that just allow it to break, which I think might be a concept. So either it's a multiclass which already exists. It's way too strong. It's way not strong enough because they're trying not to be overpowered, or the writing is just so lack that everything is going to fall downhill really quickly. Okay. That's my rant. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Just as I was doing research on this, the subclasses, just I just couldn't get behind homebrew subclasses. I'm sure someone's got a great one. I encourage you to show it to me, but I, so far, all of the ones that i found over an hour of searching just made me cringe completely. That's not saying you can't make a homebrew subclass. Do it if you've got a good idea. I'm moving on. (laughs) Uh, Homebrew races. I'm not upset about it. It doesn't really make a difference to me. It seems like it's mostly fluff. I can't really tell if someone's going to make a homebrew race that's like really, really broken. Uh, I looked at some homebrew races as well, and all of them just seemed kind of standard. Some of them had a cantrip that you get, and at fifth level, maybe you get access to a first level spell. There's a this ability. It's just kind of mixing and matching, right? It's hard to mess up if you're following that formula. Most of the time... I would think a new race would just be a reskin of an old race. I actually did this. I I made – a, uh, a character sheet and I got a model for my girlfriend's dog uh, and gave it to her for her birthday and she loved that. There isn't a dog race in 5E, so I kind of just made her a tabaxi and reskinned it to look like a dog because she runs around, she gets the zoomies, right? So, oh, feline agility. It's just kind of silly. It doesn't really mean anything. doesn't change anything. It's just slightly different. The other one is equipment and magic items. I think it's almost essential to be homebrewing equipment and magic items. Maybe not specifically equipment, but if somebody wants a specific weapon, ...that isn't in-game, well, maybe you do that. Reskinning a Glaive to be a Scythe, or a Kusarigama, which is a Chainsicle. That's a thing that doesn't really exist in the game. There's homebrew versions of all that stuff, and I looked through homebrews of those, and they're great... That being said, it's very easy to break a magic item. Uh, It's really easy to include too much stuff and make it super complicated or way too much of a lockpick for everything or to way overshoot the damage. Oh, it's just a dagger. Adding 4d12 of fire damage isn't that bad. Yes, it is. It can definitely mess with your game. If your party's having fun, doesn't matter, but there's still something to think about. I think it's important to do. It gives a personal touch to any character. I had a game where I had four players and three of them were martial. And those three were very good about having action, bonus action, sometimes reaction. They were really good at that. And the other one was a warlock who basically cast Eldritch Blast and then moved away. I just wanted to allow for a little bit more. I made a whip, That said, if you use this whip to attack as your action, you can cast a spell with timing of one action as a bonus action. Does it break anything? No. I also could have said, if you cast a spell as your action, you can use this whip as a bonus action. It's basically just adding a d4 plus dex to damage. Wasn't that bad, and it gave the warlock something to do. But I'll give you a quick example of one that I actually want to build uh, as an equipment, and I'm kind of stoked about it. We've been doing some renovations around the house, and I have been using this staple hammer. It's basically just a hammer with a staple gun in the top, but instead of it being electric or having a trigger, when you hit it, it makes the staple. So it's like a regular stapler. It's just a little more ergonomic to be hitting things with instead of clamping down. I thought about making it as an, as an equipment. Why not? The proficiency needed would probably be woodworking tools, not actually a weapon proficiency. That sounded interesting to me. Probably dealing like a D6 of bludgeoning damage, and then with a reload, because you have to put the staple Staples in there and that deals an extra d4 of piercing damage not really that broken there's a lot of other you know it's essentially reload so you have to make sure you have the staples and it's still less damage than a great sword so i don't know i just sounds like fun to me just a thing to think about and the last one of course is npcs awesome amazing you should always be homebrewing npcs i think that that is the like you every campaign should have that build an enemy that's a big deal right you gotta have that build an ally that they're going to like a lot. That's a big deal. Build a comedic relief that they're going to run into every so often and be like, Oh, this guy's fun. Beautiful. Always do that. The thing that's difficult is balancing the CR, uh, the challenge rating. It's not easy to do. If you build something brand new, how do I know what the CR is? And how do I know if I'm going to be able to play it well enough to make that CR valid? it's difficult. That being said, modifying what exists is not that difficult. If you want to make a sentient ooze, or a more sentient ooze, I guess— well, you can do that. Take an ooze that exists, bump up some of its stats, maybe give it an extra ability somewhere. It's CR, go up a little bit, and you're great. That's so effective for a party, just to be able to, like, this is a thing that's not going to show up in any of the game. This was your thing. That's a story that you build, especially if it's the main antagonist, because you can weave them throughout the story. You oh, know, it's that guy specifically, and you're never going to find them in another campaign. It's just this one, and you did that, and it's beautiful. So, to round off the homebrew rant, uh, I think homebrewing is a good thing, if it is made for the sake of making an interesting story and an interesting game, and not for the sake of just fixing the thing that can already be done, but you want to be better. The game is about balance, not about being super strong. Furthermore, the story's more fun. I personally think that most things can already be done with pre-built content. But if that's not your thing, go build some stuff. I encourage it. Thank you so much for listening. If you know anybody who you think might enjoy what I've got to say, send them my way, and I will see you next time on Dungeon Man Dragon Master. That was the Dragon Master.